Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easy, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. Here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like I have an outlet for the creativity and ideas I want to share with the world. I recommend you give it a try. We all have a voice, so share it with the world. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. That was tied to his old lifestyle, his old worldliness. And when he surrendered that part of himself and took it out, he had actually, his relationship went from, I mean, it just it kind of accelerated. It was like the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, it was that, that last that last little step of obedience. And it's like, whoa, you know, he had like a an Acts Pentecost type moment with the Lord. Welcome to the Days of Noah podcast, where we talk all things biblical, supernatural, and strange. This week, Luke, Don, and myself are going to continue our discussion on the Nephilim connection to the Federal Reserve, going over an interview with intercessor Timothy Bentz with Rob Skiba from about a decade or so ago. Good morning. Good morning. How is everybody? Doing good, All sir. All right. Good, good. Uh, last week, uh, Luke and I kind of laid the groundwork for that whole Tim Bentz interview. And so we never got to very much of the Jekyll Island stuff. We were, we were kind of talking about his overseas uh, ventures dealing with Canaanite altars in the Middle East. Um, right. there was enough to unpack there. And so, um, yeah, so it worked out well to kind of split this up into a, a few parts. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. So awesome. Well, welcome back. And, um, yeah, so let's just recap really quick kind of, um, where we left off. So in talking about, um, Tim Benz's, uh, amazing story that he, detailed with Rob Skiba um, years ago. He had been directed by the Lord to deal with these Canaanite ancient altars um, that had been allowed to exist thousands of years after their creation, likely. Um, Maybe Israel didn't deal with them how they were supposed to, or these were uh, Canaanite altars that were set up when you know the diaspora of the of the giants spread. You know, you know uh, Joshua's holy wars against them, and and so these guys spread to Germany and all sorts of other places, and probably set up altars. So Tim's heading back to home to the U.S. Uh, I believe he lives in lives in Oklahoma, and. Um, he's pretty tired, pretty wiped out. He's been gone for like three months. He misses his family and God says, I have one more job for you to do. And the timing of it is important. And so, um, God directs him to Jekyll Island, Georgia. So that's kind of where we pick up from last time. And so one of the first things he did was he, uh, he made a reservation at, um, I don't know if it's just one hotel or a main hotel or, or but it's definitely historic because um US presidents used to stay in uh the suite that um Tim was given. Um so when he 
he booked his reservation and he met the uh the woman at the desk um and she felt like she got a word from the lord about giving him this room this presidential suite that had just been remodeled and he was the first one to stay in it since a US president in the 40s I think so that was pretty cool so that like Luke pointed out last week that was kind of a just an extra you know icing on the cake uh, blessing from God to give him this this special room that no one had stayed in all these years and it was a a presidential suite and what the woman at the desk said was God told her that he was an ambassador um and she says I looked you up and I couldn't find any information about you know that you were some dignitary from some country or anything and and Tim kind of explained to her well I'm I kind of have a unique position I'm uh, God has a, a special assignment for me, and I'm I'm representing Him. And uh, what's interesting too is that He says uh, I didn't know yet why I was there, but I obeyed God in what I did know. And I th- I think it's interesting to point out that there's kind of a general revelation towards specific revelation principle that often we see in our Christian life and in the Bible that. You know, if we're open to kind of a general leading of the Lord or something he's revealed generally, then he often will direct us more specifically. Like you see that with um, uh, Cornelius in the Bible, right? He had some idea of this Messiah, but he didn't have the full picture. Yeah, I was uh, um, reminded of a, a missionary that came to our church years ago. And he was preaching on uh, just yes, you know. And it's like you said, you know, God might give a, a certain leading, prompting direction. And as you're saying yes to that, it's going to, that yes will open up other opportunities to say yes, yes, yes. And he ended up, um, his story is kind of unique, but he, uh, said yes to living in a Section 8 housing. And uh, obviously he didn't need to stay there, but he was led to go there to minister the people there. But it was through a series of yeses, he ended up moving his whole family into Iraq uh, as a missionary. But uh, so, yeah, so Tim Bentz definitely was obedient throughout his life with those yeses and how the Lord would lead him and then open more information would come. Uh, so it's it's pretty interesting to hear his testimony on this. Yeah, and I think the reverse is true too, right? Because as as people go through life, you know, they say if you haven't um, become a believer in Christ, you know, before you're 20 or 30 years old, like the chances go way down. And so we kind of get hardened into the position that we've already taken and I have to believe that, you know, God is a loving and just God. He gives everybody, whether you're on some, you know, remote third world island tribe somewhere that's, you know, like if they saw the the technology and the, and the way we live, they would just be, they wouldn't believe it because it, it's just so foreign to them. Or you're in, you know, modern America with with all of our creature comforts, like God uh gives people ways to uh reveal himself to to them and 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 I feel like you know the more people shut off those those little inclinations of god then then he he's continually closing the door a lot of times but again the the positive is is true too that the more we open ourselves up the more he reveals and I think it's interesting too how how Tim worded it many times, you know, like having a conversation with God or or hearing directly. And I would never, you know, try to base any sort of theology on that or say that that has to be for every believer. But I think it's important as we're talking about supernatural things on this show that we recognize that, yeah, there are times where, whether it's 
you know, solely at God's direction that he's doing that for whatever reason, like we all have different spiritual gifts that he decides he's going to do that in certain cases or maybe with certain people. And maybe it's a, I don't know, maybe it's a, uh, a maturity in our, in our beliefs and obedience that, that that's created. I don't know. You guys have any thoughts on that? Cause that's not something I experience regularly. <laughs> if at all well from one one thing i think he touches on um it's it, part of it is is uh, uh it's basically a lifestyle um that's totally unique to most christians so not only is the obedience there but maybe there's a lifestyle um really when it, i i look at it as holiness so there's, you know, there's, there's degrees of obedience, there's degrees of, of, of holiness. And, and then I think there's, um, when you're walking in a, a closer relationship with the Lord, spending, you're purposely spending more time with him throughout the day, the morning, the Bible talks about seeking him early, you will find me. Um, and then I think the scripture talks about some of the giftings that you yeah there's different gifts given out but i i almost feel like it's if you find the one that you have and you're practicing in that like he might give you a little bit of a a taste of what prophecy is right you know it's like well okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna go i'm i got a word for this person but if i never go talk to that person that with that word of knowledge that I receive, is God going to continue to give you words? Yeah, at some you point gotta, you have you to gotta step take, out. You got to step out, and then yeah. as you you practice in that gift, you get greater, you get better at it. You know, you get greater sensitivity. You get greater discernment. That, that's kind of that's yeah, that's kind of how I envision it. Okay, that makes Obviously, sense. Obviously, we all got our our issues, our challenges, our giftings, but that's kind of how I envision it. It's a level of holiness. And then it's a, it's, it's a maturity to actually walk out those gifts and to use those talents. And, and yeah, Tim Bentz has got some unique stuff because if we hear in that interview, he talks about um, his relationship with the Lord, even as a child, the sensitivities that he had even back then, so so it's many decades of walking with the Lord that led to this Jekyll Island obedience. And I want to put a pin in that, as they say, <laughs> and come back to that on another show, because, yeah, after he gets through this whole interview about Jekyll Island and so on, he does talk a great deal about some of his spiritual journey and things that he had to uh, deal with as God prompted him in his life to get to the point where he could be the one to deal with these big spiritual strongholds, these Canaanite altars. But real quick, I want to say just one comment on that and then ask Don what he thinks. Um, you know, in the Bible, it talks about being filled with the Spirit. And I've, I, I, I've heard it put this way, and it seems to be confirmed by those type of verses that, yes, we get the Spirit at conversion— but it, but there is a, perhaps an ebb and flow to that, because why else would Paul say, you know, be filled? So it's I to me it's kind of a, a degree, where where there's more yielding, and you see you see more more fruit, more of God's power as we are more yielding towards Him versus less. Not that we ever lose God's spirit, but there's maybe a a degree of filling. And I think conversely, for those, depending on how much they're given over to, you know, the dark side, the occult, the demonic, the satanic, you know, they they can rise in ranks um, in degrees of power that way. So I would I would agree with you on that. And then I want to hear Don um, response. Yeah, it's it's levels of yielding, because I remember a story of uh, a friend of mine who is seeking the Lord for a greater anointing and, you know, whatever. And it happened to be 
a, a, a earring that he had in his ear. Oh wow! That was that was tied to his old lifestyle, his old worldliness, and when he surrendered that part of himself and took it out, he had actually his relationship went from. I mean, it just it kind of accelerated. It was like the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, is that that last that last little step of obedience? And he's like, whoa, you know, he had like a that's amazing an axe Pentecost type moment with the Lord. And huh. you wouldn't think that a little hoop earring would be that, but it was that it was that last step of obedience that he needed to surrender. Oh, I I think that a lot of. Um, a lot of it was already said uh, with you guys talking. Um, but one thing I wanted to bring up kind of at the beginning of, of the show was I, I have in my notes, I have it uh, in capital letters a couple of times through the notes, uh, verbal conversation with God, question mark, pretty much. Um, but, you know, in, um, I think it'd be naive for me to think that just because I haven't heard a verbal conversation from God, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And uh, also, he never said verbal. He just said, the Lord told me. And, and so I've had the Lord tell me things, too. You know, I've had, and, and I've also resisted that. And when you say being filled with the Spirit, um, I think that, uh, you know, I agree with uh, Luke with what he was saying, that it's this yielding uh, that brings you into this better relationship with God. And um, I, can, I can tell you in my life where I am too hard of heart to, to yield. And I, I, you know, I, I, I ask God, I say, well, you know, you know, I'd love to yield this to you, but, and you know, that's, so that's what I think that, yeah, that's what I think this gentleman uh, did is he yielded pretty much everything more than likely and was able to be led around. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and real quick, I well, oh, go ahead, Luke. No, I know you wanted to put a pin in it, but uh, I just want to get a little bit more about his character, Tim Bent. Sure. Because he brought it up in the, the part two and even another interview that I heard. Um, as he's seeking the Lord and he's asking the Lord to judge his own heart, the Lord was revealing things to him that was in his heart that he had no idea of. Right, that he had never done. That he had never, never surrendered, never knew that he needed to. But it was something that, from the Lord's perspective, looking at his character, I see that thing. There's, some, uh, there's a place in you that this, maybe there's a stronghold, maybe it's just your own will that needs to surrender. And uh, you remember the story he gave dealing with, uh, with hatred, you know. You know, we're put a pin in that. I'm not going to go there, but no, but, it's okay. But but it's the gatekeeper's it, principle. But it was the it was one the the willingness to yield and be like, okay, I know I'm not perfect. I'm striving for holiness. I'm striving for perfection. But okay, Lord, examine me, judge me, bring to the surface the things that I need to deal with. As, and I as think David he, asked, and that, and and he's just developed a lifestyle of doing that through, you know, childhood to adulthood that led him to such a level of sensitivity that he's able to be led and get these these directions to Jekyll Island. I think is where we're. we're... That makes sense, and yeah, we'll definitely devote more time to that. And just real quick, along the the lines of the earring thing, so I used to have a couple in my left ear, and uh, I had a, can I say my funny nickname I was given at work? So I had a little stud, and I had a little cross. And uh, so one guy at work in my old job like 20 years ago gave me the nickname Honky LT. You get the reference? Lawrence Taylor? Okay. So, so yeah, that's still that's still my eBay name. If you guys want to look me up on eBay, anyway. But eBay, this relates to eBay actually. This is interesting. So, so I was kind of inquiring of God about that that very same thing because I was um, living by myself. Uh, I moved out from my roommates. I lived by myself for a couple years, and I was uh, I was getting into Ray Comfort's um, Hell's Best Kept Secret series, which is a lot of good teachings and very challenging in there. And 
and he was talking about, I don't know if it was an earring or, or a guy having sunglasses while he was preaching or something like that, where it was like God saying, you know, convicting him over something. And listen, I don't want to be legalistic or say people are, you know, sinning by having earrings or tattoos or anything. This is kind of on an individual basis, at least the way God works. And so I started asking God that same question for, you know, is this something that bothers you? And in kind of a a very rudimentary, infantile way, I prayed a selfish prayer and I said, okay, God, I've got 10 things on eBay for sale. I didn't expect more than half of them to sell because I was like, you know, whatever, put all these different things on there. And I said, if this is truly something you want me to, to part with, you know, let them all all sell. And they did all within like a week. And to me, it, you know, God met me where I was at. And he, he gave me that confirmation to to say that, you know. And so that's kind of what we're talking about, that yielding. Not a not a, not a legalistic way of, of it's it's the same for everybody, but all right, back to the story. So he gets to the hotel, he's talking to the uh clerk there at the desk, the lady, and she said, you know, she had an inner voice in her mind of God telling her things that and she had never had that happen before. So I think that's interesting that um almost as a byproduct, right? That Tim Tim was sensitive to this, as you described, Luke, of a lifetime of yielding. And then it kind of spilled over into the people he interacted with. I think that's kind of neat. Um, all right, so she sets up a meeting with the museum's director for the next day. She gives him uh, a free night at the hotel there. So he had booked one day. She gives him a second day. And she's able to book most of the day with this uh, museum director. And still, Tim doesn't really know why he's quite there yet, although things are starting to come into place. Um, So he meets with the museum director, and he's showing him the grounds and different things and and the different cabins uh, that all of these, um, you know, financial magnets had had built. And they were very low-key that, you know... These these were the wealthiest men in the world that that built this. So just a little background: the the Jekyll Island area there that that was a that was like a a, a club. It was like I don't know Martha's Vineyard today or something. Like this is where the elite went to relax and have a vacation and things like that. Um, and it's a pretty small island. I I think I looked it up. It's only like seven miles wide by like a mile and a half or something. So I don't know, smaller than like Mackinac Island in Michigan but anyway so they had these cabins and they were yeah they were they were very low key you know i wonder if that was almost t- to uh hide their 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 names you know continue in anonymity but um but that whole area there that was the as we'll get into the the native americans the tamikuans uh all their villages and and these these cabins were built on top of that so um, the director talks about this this group of Native Americans, uh, the Tamikians, and he said that they were quite prolific among several states in the southeast U.S. So this was not just Jekyll Island. It was Florida. It was Georgia, you know, some of the other coastal states. Um, and I did a quick search a little bit about that that tribe, and it's estimated there were hundreds of thousands of them in that in that area uh long ago um and again we're we're going to connect these dots but we're talking about you know the the diaspora the spreading of uh the Canaanites because they were being hunted down and so it's interesting that we're connecting that to um the the spreading out and how prolific they were in the U.S. This was this was not well before it was the United States, but this this was not just on Jekyll Island that they had uh, this group of people, so they would have been well established. Um, and then uh, 
he talks about how he has full skeletons in the museum. And Tim asks, can, can we see them? He says, yeah, they're, they're able to be seen. And these skeletons were eight to eight and a half feet tall. And the museum director said that all of the Tumikuans were unusually tall, even the women. Um, and then another detail he brings up is that um, there was a, f- a French colony that came to the area. This was, I think, in the 1500s, so shortly after you know Columbus. Um, and they were engaged in interacting with, uh, with this tribe. And according to the museum director, he says that they were so appalled by what they saw the natives engaged in. And I can only imagine, you know, maybe it was blood sacrifice or different things like that. That they fled in the dark of night down to Florida to to what became St. Augustine and established that city. Um, and I found out recently St. Augustine is called America's oldest city. So that's really interesting. So this was early 1500s. And I I personally find it a little ironic that the, the city it's named after, right, St. Augustine or Augustine, he himself dismissed uh, the Nephilim as a fabrication, as, as you know, myth and fantasy. <laughs> so that, that to me is kind of ironic. Um, and in the museum... Okay, there was a painting, um, and this was a copy of the painting, not the original, but it showed these native peoples, the Tumikuans, and it showed an, an altar on which uh, the Native Americans were, were worshiping. And Tim brought up, you know, this altar looks very similar to ones that I saw in the Middle East, and I don't know of any Native Americans that, that build things like this. And it also showed some of the chiefs holding babies up by their ankles with, I don't know, some sort of machete-type sword or knife ready to to hack them up. And again, Tim points out, you know, that doesn't seem like something that I'm familiar with that Native Americans do. You know, this is more something that I see in the Middle East. And at that point, still, the museum director was insistent that this was, you know, this was a native, uh, these were Native Americans, this was not some, you know, tribe that came over. But I think as we're discovering this and as the two of them are talking, they're figuring out that these people obviously came came there much, much earlier. Um. Yeah, so he connected both the weapons, the 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 blood sacrifice that he saw pictured, the altar to all these things he saw in the Middle East. And then so he's um he's taken by the director to um Rockefeller's house. And this is where it gets really interesting because <clears throat> he takes him to the parlor in this house. And says this is where the Federal Reserve had their their secret meeting. Um, I think it was was it 1910. I don't know if if you guys recall 1912. Um, yeah, it was 1913. I think was the Federal Reserve Act when they actually got it passed into law. But yeah, and he said um, this is the and oh, and the so the museum director says that altar, uh, we're standing over it. Um, and I kind of skipped a little detail there, but but Tim goes, who would be crazy enough to build an uh, their house on top of this altar? And he said it was Rockefeller. So that's how he disclosed that. And man, that just makes me think of. Um, you remember the story of uh, Jesus healing the the guy with legion, the the demons. Mm-hmm. You know he's got yeah. thousands or or whatever of of demons. And I want to read that section because it just reminds me of that. Like, what type of person would want to associate with something so 
so dark. Um, so in Luke 8, it says, um, chapter 26, they sailed to the country of the uh, Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on the land, he met a man from a city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. So that's, to me, that's just a little bit of connection of like, if you're kind of not in your right mind if you want to live among the tombs, you know, and then for someone to to willingly build their house over over this this ancient death altar. Um, but I'll go on with this. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High? So the demons recognized who he was. I beg you, do not torment me. Um, oh, and the version I, I copied here uh, doesn't say it, but he he says, um, oh, maybe it's, maybe it's later. Oh, yes. Okay. Let me, let me keep going. Uh, for he had commanded, okay. So they said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So we don't have to necessarily go down that rabbit trail, but there's something connected to demons and dry places the Bible talks about, and that may be because they have a fear of water similar to do with the flood. There, there may be some connections there about dry places. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for we are many. And they begged him, this is interesting, not to command them to depart into the abyss. And so the abyss, that's the same kind of language that like Peter uses from Enoch regarding Tartarus. So it's like the worst place of Hades. And if we are to take what the book of Enoch says about the judgment of these departed Nephilim spirits. It says that God permitted a tenth of them to remain on the earth. So that makes me think the other 90% of them were sent into the abyss. So that may be where these demons are well acquainted with their parents, the watchers and most of their brethren, uh, being in this place of torment and not wanting to go there. And then, of course, Jesus uh, sends them into a herd of pigs, and the pigs jump off the cliff. And I feel bad for the pig owners, because they probably lost a lot of money. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, of course, we, we, we've talked a little bit about demons wanting to inhabit bodies. And so, you know, that's why they were they were happy to go into an animal. But I don't know. I just think that's interesting about the tombs and and Rockefeller, that just that draw to darkness, you know. Well, I th- I think there's uh, uh, he, I don't think he did it <clears throat> ignorantly. Um, I think it was done on purpose. Um, as there's many examples, I think uh, I don't remember if it was this interview or another one. Uh, I was talking about uh, a Canaanite altar. Um, that was brought to Germany and they built uh, a castle on top of it or, or or around or around it the seat of satan the altar of zeus that we talked about last so time. there's yeah there's definitely an understanding and if you go back to the uh, raiders of the lost ark uh, movie the nazis in there in that film and the nazis in real life uh, desired and used occult pagan practices to tap into receiving more power. Just like we were saying earlier, what are you yielding yourself to? They yielded themselves to evil forces. They were willing to uh, take these altars, and I think one of the altars was, and maybe it's the one at that castle, that's where the SS, the elite Nazi special forces 
did their initiations and stuff was right there in that castle where that altar was. So for Rockefeller to build that, you know, and then him and his business partners, a fourth of the world's wealth coming there to Jekyll Island to plan out and defraud uh, the United States citizens. And really it, by their corruption, not only did it enslave us in the United States, other countries replicated what we did. You can look up, do a Google search and look at the national debts around the world from Japan and others. They're just modeling, modeling our system. And the Federal Reserve System that's been recreated. And interestingly enough, there was a there was a memo or a plan that was identified that was drawn up, I think, in the late 90s. And it listed all these different countries that had yet to have a central bank. And if you look at the wars and conflicts that we entered in the, the 2000s and beyond, it's one after another. Syria, Iraq, you know, I, I forget a bunch of the other ones. And with the exception of, like, North Korea and maybe Iran today, like every one of these countries on that list now has a central bank. Um, but that's, you're right, it's part of the enslavement that's that's gone on. And I think it's interesting too, and this is another path that we can go with our show at some point, but um, Fritz, oh, what's his last name? Schumacher? I forget. I've I've watched some some videos, some old videos of him on Prophecy Club on YouTube, but he wrote the book uh, Thirteen Bloodlines of the Satanic Bloodlines of the Illuminati, and a lot of those names, like Rockefeller, Rothschild, Morgan Kennedy, all these big names are mentioned in that. So I think it's not an accident that he built it over Rockefeller built his house over the. Canaanite altar and invited his wealthy friends to do it but a lot of those names are identified as these ancient satanic bloodlines where they try to keep that power line intact as we've talked about and Laura, Dr. Laura Sanger's talked about the growing iniquity force of connecting these bloodlines so in a strange way you almost might think of this secret meeting as like a family reunion because here's the Canaanite altar and they may very well have a genetic tie, not just a spiritual tie that they're, you know, willing to do the same types of awful things, but. Yeah, I think uh, Pastor Doug Riggs has even mentioned um, one of the the royal family members, I don't remember which, was quoted in talking about his family history being traced back to Nimrod. He, 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 even, he even verbalized it uh, in, a, in an interview. So um, he might not have said Nimrod by name, but it was another, it was someone connected Line. to Nimrod. Uh, yeah. Okay. That, that it, it wasn't far removed. And he was, it was a sense of pride that, yeah, we come from this lineage, you know. Uh, Fritz Springmeier, Blood, Bloodlines of the Illuminati. So um, that might be a good read. But he's got some, he's got some old old videos on YouTube uh, where he was with the uh, the Prophecy Club group. Talking yeah, about I actually that, so. own that uh, the Kindle Do version. You really? Yeah, ha! I've had That's that awesome. for for quite a few years. Um, yep. Due to certain. See, Don, sub- we're never going to run out of material. <laughs> no, I think that I think that uh, yes, I agree with you. That 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 book was actually banned in France because. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can pick it of, up because of French lineages. You think that were upset? I'm trying to remember specifically. Um, he had some very. Poignant, poignant words to uh, some of the French his, historical politicians that were not favorable in the book. So, so their way of uh, discrediting is like, yeah, we'll just ban your book and the whole French. Yeah, since you don't, 
since he don't like us, he say yep. bad things He's about us. He's naming names. Yeah, well, I mean, wow. I don't know. That's that's interesting. Yeah, so so uh, once um, Tim Bentz figured this out about the, the heritage of this building, this altar, and the Federal Reserve System that was uh, conceived right there, um, you know, he was trying to figure out what he's supposed to do because he's like, you know, God, I... I I don't want to like destroy this this historic house, you know, how am I supposed to deal with this? And it was interesting that the museum director was sensitive to to him being a godly praying man and he actually said, "Hey, I'm going to go over here and read the newspaper. I'm I'm sure you probably want to pray for a little while." And so um so Tim does that and he inquires of the Lord how to how to deal with this and so God kind of directed him in, in in his mind about, you know, how to pray about it and everything. And the same type of thing happened that happened overseas where there was like an audible, like a like a tree trunk cracking type of sound, this sonic boom kind of thing. And that was kind of the, the confirmation that that he had dealt with this this altar. Um, and I believe in the interview, Tim says it was just like five days later that the Lehman Brothers bank collapsed. So this was the beginning of the the judgment on the banking system that that God says he was he was going to do. Um yeah. So just as the um the Canaanites, you know, were a snare and an enslavement force thousands of years ago, you know, uh subjugating humanity, you know, so the conception of the Federal Reserve System was designed to enslave humanity in debt. And that's one of the things that God said to Tim was, I'm going to judge uh I'm going to judge debt the same way I judged slavery in the Civil War. As he's he's equating it that way. And I don't believe we're done. I believe the uh, uh, the recession that took place Oh seven eight nine um, was a was a form of judgment, um, and it. But we didn't we didn't learn anything, you know. Uh, what is it, uh, Jonathan Kahn? Is it uh, the yeah. harbinger with the harbinger? Yeah, you know, and he Have talks you- a lot about you know steps that we signs that God gives us because God is a merciful God. He's a gracious God. And, um, but if you don't, if you know, you keep, keep on, you know, at point, at some point you're, you're going to run out of chances, you know? And so it's, I always wonder, there's gotta be a, a, a time in the future. If the Bible says in revelation, there's going to be a time talking speak, speaking of the mark of the beast where you can you have to you have that mark to buy and to sell okay if that if we've gone to that level of commerce or you know transacting of goods and services where's where's the fiat currencies where's the US dollar where's america hmm. so has a collapse happened has have we transitioned into something digital? Maybe some maybe a collapse happens and then we start over with a new monetary policy. You know, so I always feel, and this is just my opinion, there's going to be a collapse to the U.S. economy sometime in the future. Well, will it happen in our life? I don't know, but I believe what took place in those years was was a judgment we didn't learn from it there was bailouts I, I think it was even described that if the amount of money that was paid to the banks to bail them out and keep them in business was given to the the homeowners that were in debt the whole nation could have reset and had been mortgage free and had debt debt free homes yeah, by the that's federal incredible. Government. No, and I think uh, it's been talked about a lot. Um, Luke and Nate mentioned it on Blurry Creatures at least once or twice that you know there's there is a 
slow motion orchestrated crash um, that the, some of the elites are working towards, you know, to try to to try to have that great reset. So I I think that's very likely going to usher in a new system that they they have more control in. Um, and we'll we'll kind of circle back to that too because I I do want to if not today but more even so into the future I want to talk a little bit about the Federal Reserve system if people don't know kind of how that works and what happened there. Um, but uh, let's let's get into that in a few minutes. Um, but I just want to kind of uh, draw some parallels to what Tim is talking about and some of what Dr. Laura Sanger's work is talked about on defilement of the land. Um, because, you know, it was driving out of the Nephilim out of their lands. That was not just a judgment on them, but it was also about restoring the land that had been defiled. And this is one of the things that <clears throat> Dr. Laura works with um, in her spiritual mapping. I think, Luke, you and I talked about it last week. And so she has kind of a team of of people with a gift, gifts of discernment that go around and find these these areas. So there's different ways that she, that she does it, and I'm I'm just starting Luke to read her book, um, the Roots of the Federal Reserve, and how she yeah does she that. mentions so, it in her uh, interview with Nate and Luke on Blurry Creatures. Yes, uh, one of the first uh, or maybe the second interview with, and basically they'll. Uh, spiritual mapping would take a person that's gifted in discernment um, in combination with taking your natural ability to research an area historically, who lived here, um, and and then with spiritual eyes seeing, okay, you know, what kind of atrocities took place here? What kind of sin took place here? So we, we already mentioned it with Jekyll Island, we know that there was uh, people that lived there that committed human sacrifice to in infants. Okay, that goes along with the sin in the land that if it's not cleansed, if it's not dealt with, is going to be a curse to whoever resides there. Or, or from the Rockefeller point of view, a source of iniquity force power that he can tap into and... And, and go go the dark side, you know. The dark that. way, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and she she identifies um, four key areas, and they're idolatry, breaking covenants, uh, bloodshed, and sexual sins. And those are, those tend to be the four areas that have a defilement on the land itself. And so, you know, as, as Tim Benz talked about in, in parts of his interview, when he dealt with some of these altars, like over in, in Europe, Middle East, um, at least for a season, there was almost an overnight change in the the rates of crime and different uh, sin issues that were going on in those regions, that it was actually bringing out um, more, uh, more sin and, and cr criminal activity was was more allowed to flourish was more stirred up in people when these these ancient defilement defilements of the land were allowed to persist and i think it's really interesting too you know this w verse that we've quoted or heard a thousand times if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways then i will cleanse them i'm paraphrasing cuz i'm messing it up then i will forgive their sins, and heal their land. So that's not just, uh, that's not, not just poetic language that, that God is, is using there, you know, that we can just spiritualize. I think that's, there's literally something going on with that healing. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very curious I, uh, uh, to wonder if there's a Canaanite altar that's on Epstein's Island, because uh, obviously... The elites of the world are drawn to that particular area and to commit atrocities against the innocent, and uh, and we're and most people are just thinking about the sexual side of things. 
um, you know, was there was 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 there human um, sacrificed? Was there was it just human trafficking? Because that's that's in that those categories. The, the Nephilim host traits, exactly. No, I think I think that's true. Um, that's something maybe we should do a little research on because I thought I remember hearing something about some pictures that were taken about his uh the structures that are built like the housing and and different buildings that have some occult i don't know some some symbology there um and not to get too dark into this but but it's reality so when it comes to some of the satanic luciferian you know elite and what they get into the human trafficking part you know the pedophilia part but there's also like you said there's there's torture and there's sacrifice and there's satanic ritual abuse i mean it gets really 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 dark um so i would not be surprised if that was part of what was going on there um just real quick i remember hearing an an anecdote of a, a junior senator i think he was and he was like a year or two into his his political career and then there was like a senior senator that invited him to a you know a mansion to have this party and he was trying to get him initiated into some of this really dark stuff and he's like ah no no thanks but it's almost like you you rise to a certain rank and then you're you're kind of initiated i i feel like that goes on with you know, whether you're like the CEO of Google or you are a movie star, it's like, I think there's a divide that they try to use to control people, politicians and so on. I know that's getting way off track, but <laughs> have you guys heard anything like that as far as kind of like the, the top of the top? I mean, we're getting into kind of like the the Bilderbergers and, and some of that stuff, but... It reminds me of a movie, um, an old movie called The Brotherhood of the Bell. And um, it was an initiation. Uh, it was a group that uh, was basically in charge of the entire United States. Uh, they would uh, recruit people from specific colleges, specific uh, lifestyles, and uh, they would assist that person in gaining power, gaining you know, huge you know, amounts of wealth. And then once the time came for for the um, uh, for the brotherhood to ask a favor, um, at least with this in the movie, uh, they brought this one guy who was part of the brotherhood, you know, for seventy or for about like fifty years and had never been called on. And then um, and then once they uh, they had him come and watch one of the rituals, and then they called on him to take out somebody uh, high up in the government. Uh, take take him out like not as in his life but take him out by doing certain things with his business to destroy this guy and so um i think it's i think that that kind of a thing has been around for a long time especially with masons people think you know because there's a lot of secrecy around masons um and obviously the words the illuminati have come up uh, before um, but it doesn't seem too far-fetched because if you have if you have a group of people who, I mean, look at it on the local level, even, you know, you, you have a group of people who run a, a local village, they have, there's certain things that they're doing that, that we're not knowing about, you know, even at the local level. So, yeah, no, I, and I think it's a way of control too, because if you can get someone into a compromising situation and you know photograph it video it or whatever it's like now they've got you and you know if you're a politician let's say you're not going to be able to uh have as much uh freedom on what you want to say and how you want to vote if you're not going to play ball they've got something on you well do you, um, do you remember paul ryan um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was like huge. He was coming up, and then all of a sudden, he's gone. Well, not only that, yeah. but I think he was—he was, he was kind of a bright spot. He was a bright spot to, in my mind, in the conservative side. And then the last few years, it's like he's—he's he's totally part of the club. The yep. you know, 
Yeah, he won't talk totally anymore. Bought. He he doesn't. He just sits there. Yep. Yep. And not to get political, so, yep. I think I I think that's one of the reasons why there was so much hate towards Trump on both sides oh, of yeah. the aisle is because he was self-made and mm -hmm. he he they didn't have the kind of dirt on him like they do everybody else that's on a Republican or a Democrat because you know he, he remember even he, he he didn't he didn't announce that he was going to run as a, a Republican until you know he had to and then he threatened to go independent and it was just he was a thorn in both party sides, <laughs> which is why a lot of people, which is why a lot of people liked him. <laughs> no, I know exactly, but he was very threatening, like you so said. Let's, let's uh, wrap up. I think we've exhausted this episode uh, or this conversation. There's a lot to digest when it comes to Jekyll Island, um, to spiritual mapping. Um, the Tim Bentz interview, in my mind, was amazing, um, especially part one. Um, and then Dr. Laura Sangler and what she has researched with her book, uh, you know, the roots of the Federal Reserve and how it's tied to the Nephilim there on Jekyll Island. I mean, the interviews she gave with Nate and Luke were, were incredible. Um, so I know we, we got more that we want to talk about on this subject, but um, where do you think uh, anything else that you guys want to discuss today? Well, well, I tell you what, since I don't want to give it short uh, shrift, is that the word? Uh, I, won't, I don't want to shortchange it. Um, I do have some other notes uh, to go through, but let's, let, like you said, let's save that because I think it'll tie in well to um, the next part of Tim's interview where he's talking more about his spiritual background and some of the ways that he was challenged by God to to come to a place where he could deal with these altars. Um, but just to kind of set up uh, maybe as a, as a segue into that, um, some of the things I want to talk about maybe to start out next time is, is one of the things Tim says, is he says, um, you know, we, we don't often know uh, believers are asleep and we don't often know our own history. We don't know our family history. And we don't know that God cares about the land as well as us, and he wants to deal with evil. And so I think that's just kind of an interesting idea of of inquiring of God, you know, what what is in my own family's history or the geographic region that I live in? Um, so it's important to know what defilements or iniquities are in the past so that we can deal with it spiritually and I think it's interesting, too, that um, I think it was, it might have been Tim Bentz, but it was also, I know Dr. Laura talked about um, being able to cleanse an area, even if you are not the one at fault. She was able, with a group of people in her spiritual mapping, find a region that had ancient defilement and then repent before God. Um if if I'm Luke, you might be able to jog my memory here, but wasn't this the time where she had oh boy, I'm drawing a blank on exactly the context, but do you remember her talking about like an odor, like a foul odor, and her like sensing beings rushing past her? Do you remember she talked about that in her interview? Yeah, she did. And then and when she prayed, when they when they prayed and they were asking God to heal the area and they were asking for forgiveness, literally the scent changed to like this sweet pine scent. Yeah. And that's some that's something that is often associated with demonic type of presences as people smell like a sulfur, awful smell. I mean, Bigfoot's associated with that. And so I think there's something to that... Um, that scent. But the point I wanted to make there is just that if we can inquire of the Lord about different discernments of our area or our family, that it may not be us at fault, but we may be able to, on behalf of um, that area, come to God and, and heal an area, as Dr. Laura has said. So we could talk about that story more 
next time. And then the only other thing, I guess, to kind of segue into the next chapter of this is talking a little bit more about um, debt and its equation to slavery, the Federal Reserve, um, usurping of the, the authority that Congress had to create money. So that's essentially what the Federal Reserve did. And then I also think it's interesting that uh, Tim Benson in the interview was talking about, he was talking to some Jewish rabbis about um, Jesus turning over the tables. Do you remember that part, guys? And how the, the, the coins had the face of Baal on it. Um, so yeah, so we can, we can dig into some of that stuff and then leading into what, um, you know, how money works, the federal reserve system, and then into what Tim Bentz, I believe he calls the, the gatekeepers principle of how our own, um, spiritual yielding to the Lord has an effect on the area that we live in and the people around us. And Luke, I think I called you up the day I heard that, and I was like, that is mind-blowing that we can have that type of influence. But it makes sense, because what does the Bible say? Judgment starts in the house of God. And so it's with us, if my people are called by my name. So it's really, we can complain all we want. I think it's even more than that. Man, my throat. Um, it's us as believers not realizing the authority and power and because we're made in God's image, the relationship we have, you know, you know, we, we think about politicians or people that have pull to get things done. I mean, we have a relationship with the creator of the universe, you know? So these things that we're talking about, if we would get, our heads on straight and we would fulfill our destiny as Christians. And it can, it it doesn't have to be this amazing preacher that's got these huge crowds. It's just, it's just walking out and being obedient in your circle of influence. And you have, you have the dominion, you have the authority, you represent Christ, you can pray life and death are in the power of the tongue, you know, where my feet tread, you know, you can claim those areas for the Lord, you know, whether it's walking in your town and you're just exercising and, and you just say blessings over your community. Exactly. You know, you prayer pulling, walk, you know, like the Lord's prayer said, you're pulling things out of heaven as it is in heaven, be on earth, you know, peace. And, and yeah, so it's, it's just exercising our authority. That's right. And just to add to that real quick, because um, Luke, when you were gone a couple weeks ago and Don and I were talking about uh, ecclesia, that, that the word um, translated in the Bible by King James was deliberately mistranslated as church, and ecclesia means a ruling council. And that is exactly what we're talking about. And I was listening to, uh, so that was a, a book by Tim Kurtz that I can share with you. Um, and I was just uh, listening to a clip of him on his Facebook this morning about Ecclesia, and he says, he's talking about the body of Christ, and he's like, the Bible says that he has placed all things under his feet, and he says, you could be the little pinky, little baby toe of the body of Christ, and all of these uh, spiritual opposition are still below you because because we're the body and i was like oh that's a great picture so anyway we can we can kind of end with that but um yeah good stuff guys so we'll we'll but yeah yeah, if if anybody's listening to this wants to dig into more obviously we talked about the pin the tim bentz interview which was a huge motive motivation and encouragement that the lord used to prompt dr laura with her research and her book and we've got her book, you got her interviews. And then I know I got it on, um, audible, um, the creature from Jekyll Island. 
it's it's a big big book. It's about 20, 20 24 hours worth of audio, uh, to, you know, being read to you. But to really get a deep dive in what is the Federal Reserve, the foundation of it, how they went with their rail cars and and very secretive, and even the even the servants only addressed them as. By their first that's names. right and they also they you also know. sent the normal people at the club on jekyll island out and they hired temporary workers for yeah. those two weeks yeah man oh so so, so many places we could go lot a lot of resources out there yeah yep yeah that's by g Edward griffin and and i think i mentioned on a previous show he also wrote uh, world without cancer so he's got some excellent contributions to to the world of uh of non-fiction but uh, all right, let's wrap up right there and we'll pick it up from that spot next time. And by the way, uh, let's see, today is the, what's today's date? The 18th? All right, so in eight days, um, if all goes to plan, we will have Mr. Jed Payne from Church and Other Drugs uh, podcast. Uh, Sunday afternoon, we're going to host him. So be thinking of questions for him. And how we want to, how we how we want to uh, work that show out with him. So that'll be a lot of fun. All right, thanks, guys. This is awesome. For listening to the Days of Noah podcast, we appreciate you tuning in. As always, please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Send it to your friends and family to help grow the channel. We appreciate each and every listener, and thank you for your support. God bless. See you next week.